Hello everyone, this is Andre, the co-founder of Twins Tours and Travel in Jerusalem in Israel, born into a Christian Maronite family, and I'm a licensed tour guide and an ordained minister of the gospel. I have been leading numerous groups throughout the Holy Land for almost 20 years. Also, I'm an author of several books, and you can find them in Amazon. And one of the first books I wrote called One Friday in Jerusalem speaks about my life story. So join me for a journey of 10 days to understand the heart and the mind of Jesus and to understand the Bible in a deeper way with more details through the Middle Eastern perspective. Please share this podcast with your friends and families and churches and connect with me if you have any questions. Welcome to day number seven. We just finished visiting Caesarea and we are approaching Tel Aviv, Jaffa in the bus. And as we're driving through the coastal road, uh, we will see the prominent, the seashore views. And just to tell you, over the past 20 years, this waterfront, the prominent you see, was developed in a very beautiful seaside. Though it's only very small prominent, it's like nine miles, consists of 13 official beaches facing the Mediterranean Sea, is always so full from the month of May through mid-October. You see lifeguards on duty and you can, as you see, rent chairs, umbrellas, a lot of water sports as windsurfers, surfboards, sailboats, parasailing, motorboats, and diving, and a lot of action taking place. It's like a very busy promenade. And we see the sky rises of Tel Aviv. And I will share with you some information about Tel Aviv. This city was founded in 1909 as a new Jewish suburb north of the ancient Mediterranean seaport of Jaffa. If you look all the way in the far horizon, you're going to see a tower with such an old buildings. That's Jaffa. You can see it even from Tel Aviv. And in 1909, 66 Jewish families gathered together on the sand dunes outside Jaffa and selected lots for property in a new neighborhood. And they gathered 66 white seashells and 66 gray seashells and they made a lot and wrote the names of the participants on the white shells and the plot and numbers on the gray shells they paired a white and gray shell assigning each family a plot and Tel Aviv became the first modern Jewish city in Palestine and in the 1930s and 40s, there was a lot of re- European influence in architects, especially in the buildings. And they designed so many different styles, such as the international style, which was influenced by the Bauhaus school. Tel Aviv is considered to have the greatest concentration of such buildings worldwide, the Bauhaus architect 
it's a German uh, way of building, German architect. We have also another name for Tel Aviv. We call it the White City because of the 4,000 buildings that was constructed and with a different uh, international like style architect. And it was designated Tel Aviv a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 2003. And by the beginning of the 21st century, the modern city of Tel Aviv had developed into a major economic and cultural center all over Israel. Tel Aviv is headquarters for a number of government ministries and institutions, including the Ministry of Defense, as well as so many public organizations. And a lot of foreign embassies in Israel are located in the city of Tel Aviv. And in addition, most of Israel's large corporation have the headquarters in Tel Aviv. We say Tel Aviv is a city that never sleeps. A thriving, vibrant, modern, dynamic, multicultural, tolerant, secular, and very, very liberal, while also very, very materialistic. A city of the present lacking deep historical roots. So you can say Tel Aviv is the financial center of Israel. And uh, we have a saying, Tel Aviv is the present, Jerusalem is the past, and Haifa is the future. And why Tel Aviv is the present? Because it's all about young people, modern, fancy restaurants, it's about money. It's about income, it's about high tech, so it's about the present, it's about now. Jerusalem is about the past because of the history and archaeology and a lot, a lot, a lot of like ancient buildings, not modern like Tel Aviv. And we say Haifa is the future because Haifa, we have the seaport, we have uh, like uh, income, export. So Haifa is a working city, so it's about the future. So we have another saying, when uh, Tel Aviv plays, Jerusalem prays and Haifa works. So you have to understand also that uh, Jerusalem is the biggest city in Israel with almost one million population. Tel Aviv is the second biggest city and Haifa is the third biggest city in Israel. These are the three major cities in, in the land. So we are in the bus driving now through the promenade of Tel Aviv, arriving to downtown Jaffa, which connects with Tel Aviv. And when we arrive to Jaffa, we will go back in history from modernity to ancient times, adjacent to each other's. Let me tell you a little bit about the history of Jaffa. The tradition says that Jaffa was named after Noach's son, Yafet, who built Jaffa after the big flood. This is a tradition. Or whether the name is derived from the Hebrew, Yaffa, which is meaning literally beautiful, because this is such a beautiful area. Archaeological found ancient papyrus, documents reveal that Jaffa existed as a seaport 
more than 4,000 years old. So Jaffa is one of the oldest seaports functioning in the world till today. Remember in the scripture, the cedar from Lebanon to build King Solomon's temple came through Jaffa. And there's a Greek legend and Greek mythology about the Andromeda chained to the breakwaters of Jaffa's port. I will explain for you about a little bit about this Greek mythology. It says about a king in Jaffa, his name is Kephos, and his daughter Andromeda, who was famous for her great beauty. Of course, we are talking about Greek mythology, so that's like stories, metaphoric stories. And as I mentioned, the daughter was so much beautiful, and they thought they were, she was more beautiful than the mermaids, enraging the gods and causing them to appeal to Poseidon, the god of the sea, to punish her because of her beauty. And the Poseidonian agreed and sent a flood of water and a sea monster to destroy the lands of Jaffa. King Caiaphas, after consulting with the oracle and under pressure by Jaffa's residents, decided to sacrifice his daughter Andromeda to the monster sea with the hope of appeasing Poseidonian's wrath. Beautiful Andromeda was tied to the rocks on the shore of Jaffa and left there. Perseus, son of Zeus, chief of all the gods, was passing through, saw Andromeda and fell in love with her. The king and queen promised him their daughter as a wife if he was able to rescue her from the sea monster. And he did. Perseus chopped off the head of the sea monster, which fell into the water and became the famous sea rocks of Jaffa. So this is like the tradition and the mythology. If you see the rock all the way standing there. So let's get to the Bible stories. So the Bible speaks of Jaffa many times in the Old Testament. We have two major stories about Jaffa. And we have another two major stories from the New Testament about Jaffa. So let's start with the Old Testament stories. Remember the time of King Solomon? He wanted to build the first temple. There was another king in Tyre. King Hiram sent cedar logs for the temple to Jaffa. We can read that from 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 16. And we will cut all the logs from Lebanon that you need and we will float them as rafts by the sea down to Joppa. You can then take them up to Jerusalem. So that was Second Chronicles chapter 2, 16. And we have another story from the Old Testament about Jaffa where prophet Jonah left for Tarshish. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. 
So we can see the Prophet Jonah bordered on the seaport of Jaffa as he was attempting to run away from God's command. God sent a storm and a large fish to help Jonah realize that he was wrong. So we'll discuss this story also later. So we have another also two stories in the New Testament. One talking about Tabitha, the Greek name Dorcas, was brought back to life by Peter in Joppa in Jaffa. That is Acts chapter 9 verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Anyway, you can read the story later. And we have another story about Peter. And he had the vision of the clean and the unclean animals. And we read that in Acts chapter 11. So we are inside downtown Jaffa. And if you look to the left, you see a clock tower. The famous Jaffa clock tower is one of seven clock towers built in Palestine during the Turkish Ottoman rule. We have others located in Safed, Acre, Nazareth, Haifa, Nablus, and even in Jerusalem there was a clock tower standing at Jaffa Gate that do not exist today. Now look at the northern eastern corner from the clock tower you're going to see a huge marble building. It's called the Saraya. The Saraya literally means, in Turkish language, the royal house. This building was designed in a very nice classical eastern look. The front has four marble poles. As you see, a beautiful entrance with arches from marble built during the 19th century and was destroyed during the 1948 war. What you see is only a construction. To, to the left you see also the flea market where you can experience the local life in Jaffa. Inside the flea market is a treasure of antiquities, handmade and second-hand items. We call it in Hebrew Shuk HaPishpishim. Shuk HaPishpishim. The flea market literally means the flea market. Anyway, this portside neighborhood of alleyways and walkways and outdoors vendors has been operating for more than 100 years on the same streets you see. This market is open six days a week from Sunday through Friday from morning to the early evening hours. And literally you can find anything you need in that market it's filled with like uh, locals and the locals come to buy a lot of old stuff like uh, trendy even furniture and today we have clothing shops and it's like I call it the Walmart of Jaffa they have a lot of pottery ceramics a lot anything you think about you can find that Today also there is a lot of restaurants and coffee shops in that street and for like the weary shoppers to refresh and watch the crowds go by. 
Now look at the left, we see a school building. This is the Frere School de la Salle. It's a French international school. It was established also in the 19th century, 1882, by Catholic missionaries from France. By the way, this is the school where my dad went. And my dad was born in Jaffa. And my father's family lived in Jaffa. So I'm always happy when I am here. So the bus will continue to drive us to a small road, tiny route, and the bus will drop us out because the bus can't drive inside the old town of Jaffa. And we will continue walking through the small streets of ancient Jaffa and it's so much beautiful as if you go back in history. Our destination to reach Simon the Tanner house. The group members are so excited and they are taking a lot of pictures because the walls, the history, the roads are so beautiful and very old. We just arrived to the traditional house of Simon the Tanner. All the group are seated down on the steps adjacent to the house. Look at the door, you see a plate like a stone tablet and written on it that this house is owned by the Armenian Zakarian family. By the way, for generations and generations, this Armenian family kept and reserved the house. Today, this house is closed for visitors. And I want you to look at the roof of the house. During the British mandate, they constructed a lighthouse serving the ships entering Jaffa Harbor. And near the lighthouse is a small mosque, Jamal al-Butros, which means literally in Arabic, Peter's Mosque, constructed in 1730 AD, as well as a guardhouse nearby meant to defend the city against the attacks from the sea. But the point I want to make is we are near the sea coast. And look what is written in Acts chapter 10. Verses 5 to 7, where Cornelius sends for Peter, whose house is near the seaport. Let me read it for you. Verse 5. Now send me to Joppa to call for a man named Simon, who is called Peter. Verse 6 is the key verse. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is near the sea coast. Anyway, so we are near the sea coast. This house is near the sea coast but this is the traditional house it does not mean this is the physical house but we are in the same location because buildings get like constructed on top of each others from ancient times till today so we're gonna learn together about peter's vision this is where simon peter received an important vision from god that completely transformed his life and had the most significant events in Christian history took place because of the vision that led Peter to enable Gentiles to join and be part of the early church and their communities. Let us read about his vision. Acts chapter 10 verses 9 to 16. The next day, as they went on their journey, and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. About the sixth hour, then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. 
verse 11. And so heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him, and led down to the earth. Verse 12. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Verse 15. And the voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. So who was Simon Peter? He was a Torah observant, loyal Jew. He kept the kosher law. And he did not want to go to spread the message of the one God of Israel to the Gentiles, to the pagans. Because Gentiles at that time were considered to be from the pagan world. Because they did not believe in one God as the Jews, they believed in many gods, polytheistic and not monotheistic like the Jews. So Simon Peter did not want to go out to the nations, to the Gentile world, because he was a very dedicated, pious Jew and did not want to surround himself with the pagan world. During Peter receiving his vision, a voice commanded him, Rise, kill, and eat the unclean animals. Peter is so confused by these instructions because he is a Torah observant Jew and he keeps saying, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Let me explain this in Western terms. As if, imagine with me, Peter saw in the vision five guys burger coming down from heaven with extra double portions of bacon and cheddar cheese and double portions of bacon and the voice is telling him to eat. This is not kosher as an observant Jew is in a shock. And look what happens next. Another time, for a second time, the vision repeats. The voice comes with instructions telling Peter and even a third time at no point Peter want to break God's written commandments. Then we read in scripture about the Gentile men in Caesarea were sent from Cornelius to tell Peter about the reason why they are coming and how Cornelius was directed through a heavenly vision also and a voice to send for Peter so that Cornelius' house might hear all that Peter has to speak about the God of Israel. A word of good news and salvation that would be birthed by the Spirit of God. Let us read now from Acts chapter 10, 23 to 29 to continue the story. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. 24. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. 26. 
But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. 27. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Look how Peter, even as an observant Jew, he was obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Remember it said, rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter makes the journey north to Caesarea, arriving at the house of Cornelius. As Peter enters, he finds a gathering in the house for close friends and relatives, awaiting for the divine message. But do you understand that Peter was so much obedient? Because as a Jew, he can't even enter a Gentile house. He will be breaking the law to enter to a Gentile home. But he was so much obedient to the vision, and even Peter started telling them about the meaning of the vision God gave to him while on the roof praying in Jaffa. And Peter tells those listening the true meaning of his divine vision. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter and all Jews should no longer believe that Gentiles coming to faith in the God of Israel are unclean. Unclean is unacceptable by God, or common, unholy. The reality is that God has in fact accepted Gentiles coming to the faith in him without need for them to go under the rituals and the conversion to become a legal Jew. So everyone is open now, the Gentile to the God of Israel, and they are all accepted. And Peter understood this vision completely. Let us continue reading Acts chapter 10, verses 30 to 33. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, your prayer is heard, and your arms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call for Simon whose surname is Peter, he is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who when he comes shall speak to you. Verse 33, Immediately therefore I sent to you, and thou hast well done that you art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded from God. And we know that Simon Peter started to share the message about the one God of Israel as a Torah teacher. And while he was preaching and he was almost finished, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles, falls on Cornelius and his household. Look what is written in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 48. 
While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then he asked him to stay a few days. So the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. This is what we call the second Pentecost or we call the Gentile Pentecost. Look what is written in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. This is where the Gentile church was born. Because Cornelius and his household, a Gentile fearing God, was searching for the truth. Look at verse 45. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. Who are those of the circumcision? The Jews. Why they were surprised? Because it is the first time they see the Holy Spirit falling not only on Jews, like in the upper room, the first Pentecost, but also falling on the Gentiles that are considered to be pagans. This is a revelation. This is where the Gentile church was born. Let us also talk about another story from the Old Testament. There is another Jew from Joppa, from Jaffa. His name was Jonah, prophet Jonah. In 2 Kings chapter 14 verse 25, tell us that Jonah is from Gath Hefer. This is a small border town nearby Nazareth. This is where Jonah was born. Today is called Al-Mashhad. Today is a Muslim town. But in scripture it's called Gath Hefer. And Jonah means, Jonah in Hebrew means a dove. And Jonah is written the son of Amittai. Amittai, the word emet in Hebrew means the truth, my truth. So, which also lead us to understand that Jonah's mission was to speak the truth of the God of Israel to the Gentile world. So, his name related to the Holy Spirit, the dove, the Holy Spirit and the truth. And he did not want to tell the truth to the Gentiles in Nineveh because they were so wicked and they were pagan, they were Gentiles. And you have to understand why Jonah does not want to go to speak about the one God of Israel to pagans. They do not worship one God, they worship many gods. And also, Nineveh is in Assyria. And Assyria had invaded the land of Canaan in 723 BC. And that was the same period where Jonah lived. And he did not want to spread the message of hope and truth to his enemies. He does not want his enemies to be forgiven because they just destroyed the land. That is a deep struggle inside the heart of Jonah. So here we have two Jews, two Jewish men 
with negative attitudes towards the Gentiles. And notice, both of them are religious, abiding Jews, chosen by God and by the Holy Spirit for a specific mission in history. Sometimes the Holy Spirit obliges us to do something that we do not want to do, or it's very hard to do, because we are hurting from inside. And this is the exact issue God is calling us to become our mission in life is to obey, not be stubborn, and to do God's will. It's all about the obedience of the God of Israel. And sometimes God's will is very hard when he tells you go and forgive your neighbor or to tell you to do something you don't want to do. This is how it works. Upside down kingdom. God will call you many times to do something that you are not comfortable with. But his spirit will lead you. The Holy Spirit obliged both or led both of Simon Peter and Jonah to spread the message to the Gentiles. Because it's not about us. It's never about us. It's about the others. It's about God using us to spread his fame to other people. So these two stubborn Jews are used by the Holy Spirit to bring the Gentiles into the blessings of Abraham. It takes a divine act of God to extend the blessings and God's mercy to the Gentiles. So when Jonah was called upon by God to go to Nineveh and to tell its residents to repent before the wrath is coming, Instead, because he was stubborn, he boards a ship to Tarshish from Jaffa, caught in a storm. He orders the ship's crew to cast him overboard, whereupon he is swallowed by a giant fish. Three days later, after Jonah agrees to go to Nineveh, and the fish vomits him out onto the shore, and Jonah successfully convicts the entire city of Nineveh to repent and even the king repented and all Nineveh was saved because of the extended mercy of God because of a stubborn Jew did not want to go on his mission but the Holy Spirit obliged him to do so it takes a divine act of God to convince Jonah to share the message to the Gentiles in Nineveh also the same story with Peter He spread the message to the Gentile church, and the church was born. And now Peter returns to Jerusalem, and the church elders in Jerusalem have to debate and deal with this issue. What we do with the Gentiles? What we do with all these people accepting the God of Israel, and they are not Jews? And how God is extending his mercy to the Gentile people? We read in the book of Romans, it was always God's plan to include the Gentiles. So the book of Romans is not about how to get saved only. It's really more than that. It's about what God wants from the Gentiles and from the Jews themselves. And what does God say? You Jews, 
can keep the Torah and continue to be Torah observant Jews and observe the kosher dietary law and observe Shabbat, but still accept the Gentiles among you. You have to understand that in Jaffa, in Acts chapter 10, here Jewish people fulfill God's commandments to Abraham, that Abraham will be a blessing to all the nations of the world. Jaffa is where Israel fulfilled prophecy of being a light to the nations. Nations are the Gentile. So the Jews from Jaffa is the light to the Gentile world. So Jaffa is considered to be a light to the nations, a light to the whole world. Because from here, Jews went all the way to spread about the God of Israel to the Gentile world through Peter, Simon Peter in the New Testament, and through prophet Jonah in the Old Testament. We will continue walking all the way through the old city of Jaffa to head down to the seaport. And I'll give the group like 20 minutes break at the seaport to observe the sunset and to see the old seaport of Jaffa. And then from there, we get back to the bus to head up to Jerusalem. All the group are in the bus and I just hold the microphone and I want to continue teaching. And one of the group members would tell me nicely, Andre, please give us a break. We cannot absorb all that information. Please, we need a break. So, of course, I will respect what he's telling me and I will give them a short break going all the way up to Jerusalem. The road is around 40 miles, so they can relax during the drive. But after 20 minutes before arriving uh, to Jerusalem, they will see a lot of agriculture, a lot of vegetation. So I will start teaching again. So I will be teaching about the seven species of the land and the importance of each species and why. The Bible mentioned them in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 8. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. And from the bus, we see a lot of fields of wheat and a lot of fields of barley. And usually people cannot distinguish between both of them. But I will explain about the history of the wheat too. And the wheat was one of the first important cereal crops cultivated by man nearly 6,000 years. It was cultivated in this area, the Fertile Crescent, the Middle East. And usually they mix it with water and cook it on hot stones for making flat bread. And we hear about the Egyptians were the first people to do this kind of bread who would add some water from the Nile to the flour. And also barley was also made for bread, but barley was for the poor people, was for the local citizens of Egypt and the Fertile Crescent and for the simple people, because it's not tasty like, uh, really like uh, wheat. But also barley is most used today in beer. And the story goes that one day in Mesopotamia, someone prepared a barley gruel and then forgot about it. And this mixture started fermenting spontaneously in the open air, giving rise to the first beer.
by chance, capable of adapting to any climate, barley is now cultivated in both temperate and cold regions, on plain and at high altitudes, just mainly to make beer. Then we see some olive trees, and I'll start explaining about olives. And olives, given olive oil, is the foundation of most Mediterranean foods and is very important in the first century culture and in today's culture. Every house today should have olive oil in their home for all the year. And drinking a teaspoon of olive every morning before eating can be so much healthy to the body. It's like uh, cleansing the liver and also it helps to protect against heart diseases by lowering the blood pressure and have olive oil have strong antibacterial properties and the olive oil have several antioxidants to help fighting cancer so the olive oil can truly be called the foundation of life the olive tree is a symbol of life long life and jesus quoted from scripture a lot about olive trees which we're going to learn later when we will be at the garden of gethsemane then we have as you see grapes vineyards there is a lot of vineyards before approaching jerusalem and grapes we get wine remember first century people was talking about wine wine was so much big in the culture and the first miracle, as we learned, turning the water to wine in Cana. So grapes is important. They are full of vitamins A, B, and C, while also good for the blood and energy deficiency. Also, grapes are full of antioxidants and help eliminating free radicals in the body. So the vineyards, grapes, is so much important and so much like healthy and used, used till today, especially the seed, the oil from the seeds of the grapes is very healthy, the oils. Also fig trees, we see a lot of fig trees and figs are important in the Bible. And the fig tree symbolizes prosperity, peace and leadership. Why prosperity? Because of the abundance of the sweet juicy in the figs i don't know if you tried ever a fresh fig is so large can be as the size of your hand one fig organic like uh, fruit can make you full it's like big size and this is the kind of trees the bible talks about and magnificent trees the fig trees the figs has been a major food for the people in the Middle East for thousands of years because their ability to store easily by drying them and also you can use a lot of uh, long-term food source figs are very rich in minerals especially potassium iron calcium and it contains omega-3 and even omega-6 fatty acid figs also are so much like good for cholesterol for lowering the levels of cholesterol moreover they may help prevent certain types of cancer i don't know if you notice also we see some pomegranate trees 
They are very beautiful and majestic fruits and it represents majesty and glory in the Bible. And you have to understand that pomegranates is full of antioxidants and good for our immune system. And the pomegranate boosts our immune system, especially the seed oil and the juice of the fruit is so important and so healthy for the antioxidant, a lot of antioxidant. And it's been proven to decrease heart disease by decreasing the bad cholesterol and increasing the good cholesterol. And when we arrive in Jerusalem, I will promise you we're going to taste the fresh pomegranate juice. It's so delicious. The Bible also mentions the dates as one of the species of the land and the date comes from the palm tree and which is grown in many tropical areas in the middle east and dates has been really popular in israel in recent years especially by the way having dates will help improve brain cells for memory and they are highly nutritious fiber and also anti-exceed and very healthy and benefiting the digestive system the dates have like 20 vitamins to the body and the dates is so fresh and so healthy and so yummy today israel export a lot of dates to europe and all over the world and it's becoming a big industry and big income to israel so these are the seven species of the land and why we are mentioned in the Old Testament? Because even if there is a drought in Israel, when there is no rain, still these seven species will grow and give produce, which means God's word is so sufficient to our lives. Even if there is no rain, there is still food in the land. So this is a very spiritual meaning. And I will go further and explain for you the spiritual meaning behind these foods and you have to understand that these species and the food is related to agriculture and it's related to the festivals so there's a spiritual meaning to elevate and understand the species of the land even by eating these seven species of the land it's so much healthier to the body and is sufficient and you don't need other food. So all of that is sufficient and healthy. It's like deepen our relationship with God by eating healthy. And each of the seven species contains deep lessons about God and our spiritual life. Every time we eat them, we have the opportunity to tune into their spiritual messages and bring the word a step closer to its perfect state. Anyway, let me summarize for you. The bottom line, each species, what it symbolizes. The wheat symbolizes kindness in scripture. The barley symbolizes severity of God. Grapes, vineyards, the harmony of God's people. The figs, as we mentioned, it's about endurance it's about leadership it's about perseverance in scripture the pomegranates it's about humility 
and humbling yourself. Olive trees, olive symbolizes foundation, strong foundation. And dates is about the royalty of God. And now we are ascending the highway number one up to Jerusalem. In 15 minutes, we'll be arriving through the western entrance to the city. And what I will do, I will put a worship song, the holy city, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Lift up your voice and sing, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to the king. So this is like a nice entrance to hear the worship song, the holy city. So I will put it in the bus to prepare everyone arriving to Jerusalem. As the song will finish, everyone will be so emotional seeing the city of Jerusalem for the first time. Then I start explaining about the biblical meaning of Jerusalem, what the word Jerusalem means as an introduction to the city. Jerusalem in ancient Hebrew, or Salem. Or means light. Salem means peace the city of light and the city of peace. And it comes from the Hebrew word Salem, from the Hebrew word Shalem. Shalem literally means the city of completion, the complete city, the perfect city. Remember, we're speaking about coming up to Jerusalem. You will feel part of the city. You will fulfill yourself going up to Jerusalem. It's like a level of completion in your life. Jerusalem is the city of completion in Hebrew. Nothing is missing in your life. Nothing broken in your life. It is like flourishing. It is your well-being. It's like living a life of completion, of justice, by being yourself the well-being of the person. Remember we spoke about the seven species of the land that surrounds Jerusalem and surrounds the land. So it's about being healthy, being yourself, the complete shalom, the complete peace, being content in your walk, arriving to Jerusalem. Despite all the world around you, I'm not speaking about the world around you. I'm speaking about personal relationship the peace inside your heart and it's all about being content in your life this is what jerusalem means so we are staying in jerusalem for three nights four days and the group are so excited because jerusalem is my playground and we're gonna explain more about jesus last week in the city so the group is approaching the hotel and they're going to have dinner and we are staying three nights, four days in the city of Jerusalem. We're going to learn all about it. There will be another three days of podcast teachings dedicated to the city of Jerusalem. Thank you for listening to me so far and I will keep the best for the end the best will be for jerusalem the best teachings and the deepest teachings will be from jerusalem my hometown my playground